Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, uh, please send it to me, uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, uh, before we do get started, I want to remind you that today's uh, program is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank those who supported our listener support campaign, including Renee, uh, Mark, Mike, and Clarissa. Thank you so much for your support. We'll send access to our premium site, as we do with all donations of $7 or more, plus with any donation of $20 or more. Uh, we will provide uh, a special extra thank you gift. At the $20 level, um, I will send you your choice of one of four ebooks, including All I Needed to Know I Learned from Columbo, or one of my superhero comedies, Tales of the Dim Night, Fly Another Day, or Powerhouse Hard Pressed. The same four options are also available as uh, an additional thank you gift as an audiobook. Also, um, at the $20 level, you could choose instead Doc Savage, The Forgotten Realm, or at the $100 level, you could choose any Nero Wolf or Agatha Christie uh, novel available at uh, audible.com. If you would just like one and don't want to choose, just let me know and I can also uh, pick one out for you if you don't have a preference. Uh, and more details available at support.greatdetectives.net, or you can also mail in your donation. Just uh, email me at box13 at greatdetectives.net, and I'll provide that. Well, we're going to finish up the Curse of Kamashek matter in just a moment. And uh, then coming up later on the program, it's another episode of Manhunt. So now it's time for the Curse of Kamashek matter, part five. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Dr. St. Clair returning your call, Stinky. Oh, hi, Leonard. Where have you been, Johnny? It's been years. Yeah, I know. Listen, can you give me a hand? Who got poison this time? Two of them. I hope it's poison, and that you can prove it for me. We'll try. What do I do? Meet me here at the home of Eric Turnbull in Stamford, Connecticut. Okay, but Johnny... Give you the address in a minute. But Johnny, what do you mean you hope somebody got poison? Because if they didn't, I'm going to go off my rocker. What? Because the only other possible cause of death could be a curse. The curse of Kamashek. Who? An Egyptian king who died a couple of dozen centuries ago. What? Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Inter-Allied Life Insurance Company, Crutchfield Square, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, The Curse of Kamashek Matter. Expense account continued. 
I called Dr. Leonard St. Clair, an old school chum, because I knew him to be one of the foremost toxicologists in the country. And I was telling the truth. I hoped it could be shown that some kind of poison killed Donald Cronin and subsequently his uncle, Eric Turnbull. Both, apparently, had believed in the curse of the old Egyptian pharaoh, a curse that was to befall anyone who violated his ancient tomb on the banks of the Nile. Donald had done this in excavating the tomb. But his uncle here in Stamford had only touched the bones that Donald had airmailed to him. He was opening the package that Master Donald... God rest his soul. That Master Donald had sent him just before he died, there at the tomb in Egypt. I brought them in here to the library for him, sir. Go on, Haskins. Well, then you rang the doorbell. I, I left him with it, and when uh, you and I came in here... Yeah, dead. From the curse of Gamashek, Mr. Dollar. Oh, Haskins, I don't believe it. A friend of mine, Dr. St. Clair, will be here shortly, and he'll be but able to... But shouldn't we notify the police? No, sir? no, no, later. But, but leave my poor employee's body just lying there? For the time being, yes. Until Dr. St. Clair examines it. Eh? As you wish, sir. That's what I wish. Haskins. One person in this confusing mess I hadn't given a second thought to. As it turned out, there wasn't time, for Len St. Clair arrived a few minutes later in a car equipped like a miniature laboratory. No doubt as a result of the police work he was frequently called on to do. First, of course, in his capacity as an M.D., he made a thorough examination of Eric Turnbull's body for purposes of death certificate data. This poison all right, Johnny. I'm sure of it. At least as sure as I can be, short of making an autopsy. But what kind of poison, Len? And how administered? Well, at the risk of making it sound like a dime novel, I'd say it was an extremely rare... Uh... Well... Well, what? Come on. Well, it's something I haven't heard of in years. Related to the old Indian arrow poison. It's very difficult to detect. Can you make sure? Yes, if you'll help me drag some of my equipment in from the car, including a cage of white mice. What? Yeah, on which to experiment with samples of the stuff. Samples from those old bones out of the tomb? Mm, That's right. Now, from what you've told me, only two people have touched the bones since the minute they were discovered in the tomb. Three. A native carrier, Donald Cronin, and now the late Eric Turnbull. And they've all died. But, Johnny... Yeah? The poison I'm thinking of would hardly have been put on those bones in the time of the pharaohs. Oh, and by the way, I hope no one's touched them here. No, I've left them just as they are in that mailing wrapper. Good. Because it could be fatal. I'll carefully scrape them when we get the equipment in here. We brought in what Len needed for his work, including the white mice. Then I closed him in the library and left him to his experiments. To a bit of research, too, for he'd brought in a couple of thick books on toxicology. As a matter of routine, I phoned the local coroner and then tried to reach Dorothy Harkness. Her number didn't answer. I was about to drive over to her little apartment when Len came out of the library. I was right, Johnny. Curaba arsenium. That the name of the stuff? Uh Uh-huh. In its powder form, absorbed into the pores of the skin, it could be fatal almost immediately. And listen to me. Yeah? Somehow, between the time the bones of that old king were discovered... And the time that Donald Cronin touched them, somebody put that poison on them. How? Without endangering himself. By keeping it in aqueous solution until the bones were sprayed with it. Sprayed with it? Wait a minute. Yeah? Sprayed with it, huh? A doctor, an Englishman who was on the expedition, told me that the bones had been sprayed with some kind of preservative, even before the native carrier touched them. You thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, right. Instead of preservative, it was the poison. Well, who sprayed them? I've got a wild idea, Len. But if it's right, it'll sew up this whole case. I wonder who that is. Well, while you're finding out, I'm going back and recheck these tests. 
But only as a matter of routine, because I'm sure I'm right. I beg your pardon, sir. Yeah, Haskins? Miss Dorothy Harkness is here, sir. Huh? And her young brother, Walter. Shall I ask them in, sir? By all yeah, means. It's a terrible thing that has happened. Is that really the way you feel about it, Dorothy? What? Yes, just what do you mean by that, Mr. Dollar? I'm Walter Harkness. Well, come right in, Walter. Because I have a sneaking suspicion you're the boy I've been looking for. What? Your conscience finally begin to hurt you? Would you like to sit down and write your confession now? What are you talking about? Or did you and Dorothy just come here to put on a front? You know, as a cover-up? I don't know what you're talking about. Johnny, what are you saying? Sit down, both of you, because I'm going to be saying plenty. Look here, Mr. Sit down, I said. Now sit down. All right, Dorothy, we'll begin with you. Johnny, I don't understand. Now listen to me. From what you told me, and I've no other reason for believing it except that you told me, Donald Cronin was in love with you. It was true. And I At any rate, not... he made you part beneficiary of his $100,000 life insurance policy. Half of it, I believe. A cool $50,000. how can you say you're oh, even Oh, be think... quiet. Mr. Dollar. I'm coming I... to you right now, Walter. You're working for the museum where your father is curator of archaeology. The museum that has depended quite a lot not only on Donald Cronin's scientific contributions but his monetary help as well. well. That may be true, but now look the here. The museum, you... the other beneficiary of Donald's insurance, also $50,000. Mr. Dollar, if you're implying that I had anything to do with Donald's death... You in can order shut to gain... up, too, and let me talk. This is the first chance I've had to begin to tie this case up. The first time any of the crazy elements in it made sense. No, wait, tell me this. Eric Turnbull was opposed to Donald's interest in the museum, wasn't he? Well, yes, Sure. And I'll bet my bottom dollar that if something happened to both Donald and his uncle, the estate worth nearly a million was willed by Donald to the museum. That's true, Johnny, but there's no... No wonder Eric Turnbull was afraid for Donald's life. Because he knew who would ultimately benefit most by his death. No wonder he hated you, Dorothy. Johnny! Oh, Johnny, you can't mean you think that I would... No, I... no, no. I think you were only being used as a tool, Dorothy. You told me yourself how your father opposed your marrying him. How his only interest was in getting money for the museum... Is that true, Walter? Yes, Mr. Dollar, that is true. But if you mean to imply that I or any of us was involved in Donald's Walter, death... Walter, the more I think about it, the more I'm sure you are directly involved. Uh, now, sit down. It's a lie. I swear to it, Mr. Dollar. You're wrong. It's a lie. We'll see about that. Because there's one thing you may have overlooked. I know what killed Donald Crump. You... you do? Oh, yes, Walter. Just as well as you do. But I don't. I... I haven't the least... The curse of Kamashek? The curse Johnny? of Kamashek. Not by a long shot. Was it, Walter? I told you, I haven't the slightest... All right, then I... tell me this. Immediately the pile of bones was found in Kamashek's tomb before anyone touched them. I refused to touch them. Be... Will you listen to me? Before anybody touched them, somebody sprayed those bones with a so-called preservative. And I mean so-called. Well, I don't know why you should. Oh, well, that's common practice these days, in case you don't know it, but I fail to see... What, what was supposed to be a preservative was, in reality, a deadly poison. What? Oh, come on now, Walter. But you're wrong. You must be wrong. It's impossible. You know, you're very convincing, I must admit. Well, it's true. I applied that preservative, Mr. Dollar. Oh, you did? Yes. Aqueous solution, wasn't it? Of course. And I'll bet you washed your hands very carefully immediately afterward, didn't you? Yes, of course I did, because I was told to. By whom? By... Oh, no. No. Walter? What is it? Holy 
Tell me, Walter. Walter! Yes? Do you know anything about a man who tried to intercept me on my way to Egypt? To make sure I didn't get there until the bones of the pharaoh were sent to Eric Turnbull and that Donald Cronin died? No. No, I don't, believe me. Then answer me this one. Did you make up the, we'll call it, preservative that you used over there? No. Then who did? And who told you to be sure to wash your hands immediately after using it? Well? Walter! Oh, no! I'm afraid so, Dorothy. Oh, no! Better tell me, Walter. I beg your pardon, Mr. Dollar, but Mr. Harkness Sr. is here, too. Mr. Dollar, I'm Adam Harkness. Curator of Archaeology at the Museum. Well, well, Mr. Harkness, I'm really glad to see you. Dorothy, Walter, Mr. Dollar, I've come to pick up the bones from the grave of Kamashek that I understand Donald Cronin sent to his uncle instead of to me through some misunderstanding. Oh, yeah, sure. I had a notion you'd want to pick up those bones, Dr. Harkness. And I'll give them to you on one condition. Oh? What is that? That you take them out of the package in which they arrived here with your bare hands. That you carry them out of this house, also in your bare hands. Why, that's a strange... Will you? Of course not. Why? Why, because such priceless relics are too fragile, too... Too full of a deadly poison that you had them sprayed with? Kuraba arsenium, I believe it's called. I don't know what you're... Walter, what have you been telling us? True, isn't it, Father? Well, Dr. Harkness... I don't know how you found out, Dollar, but I'll tell you this. You won't ever live... Wait a minute, put that thing down. Father! Wait a minute! Daddy! Johnny? (sighs) You stopped him all right, Len. But I think he'll live. Good. I knew all the police work I've been doing would come in handy sometime. Thanks for barging in at the psychological moment. I was only coming in to confirm the results of my tests. But I guess Dr. Harkness had already done it. Yeah. So, I guess the museum will profit mightily from half the insurance and all of the estate of Donald Cronin. The museum, that is, without Dr. Adam Harkness. Expense account total, including transportation back to Hartford, $985. Remarks? Well, doesn't mean a thing, I know, but, uh... I kind of wonder what I might have found if I'd been assigned to investigate the deaths of the people who excavated some of those other old Egyptian tombs. Tombs that had a curse on them. (laughs) Interesting thought, isn't it? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a search for $80,000 that was never there, and a body that was never there. Yet both of them had to be found. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in this week's cast were Paul Dubal, Alan Reed Sr., Dick Krenner, Virginia Gregg, Ben Wright, Forrest Lewis, 
Eric Snowden, Barney Phillips, James McCallion, and Les Tremaine. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, that was uh, actually a fairly good ending. Um, only uh, problem I had with it maybe was the suspect showing up at the, you know, the actual murder just showing up at the last minute. So none of the people we actually um, saw in the play, but that's kind of a minor issue. This was a pretty enjoyable show. Um, all right, well, now we do turn to some listener comments and feedback, and uh, we have a few, so um, we'll go ahead and get into those. Uh, some positive comments on uh, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, episode 1191, uh, which was the first part of the Cranesburg matter. Brian says, can't get enough of a good thing, and Tanya says, Johnny Dollar is my favorite. And uh, then we have a few other comments here. Mark uh, says, uh, Hi, Adam. Johnny spotted something in Mrs. Russell, Russell's place. Then he tricked her into leading him to the bad guy. It was not clear what Johnny saw, but I think you cleared that up. You said it was the cigar wrapper tied into a knot. Don't think it was specifically said, which draws me up the drapes. Plus, Johnny asked her if she was the beneficiary. He should know the answer to that. Maybe he was looking for a reaction to the question. Um, I think in this case, Johnny had been called in. He was uh, investigating one particular uh, policy or, or issue, and uh, this was another one. So it was kind of saving her, saving him a little bit of uh, trouble. I think certainly he could have, and uh, maybe should have uh, looked it up, but. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was on the Crystal Lake matter. And I, sp- I and uh, they did mention it, but they mentioned it after Johnny spotted it, uh, in episode five. So, uh, another, uh, listener comment, uh, from Chemo, uh, who says, nice, you played Rocky Jordan, one of my favorite series by far. That and Johnny Dollar make for a great week of podcasting. Well, I, I definitely hope you enjoyed it, particularly when uh, we had uh, Rocky Jordan and then the Cranesburg matter. That's a pretty good combination. So now it's time for Manhunt, the clue of the mask murderer. Manhunt, the clue of the masked murderer, whose deadly work led to... Man Hunt. No crime has been committed yet. 
No murder has been done. Yet, no manhunt has begun. Yet. But I don't understand. Why are you here? Who are you? Why are you wearing that mask? Because I am taking no chances this time, Donald Lee. Fifteen years ago, you were on the jury which sentenced me to be hanged. My sentence was commuted through no fault of yours. Now it's my turn to make you pay. But why me? Why? The others will come later, one by one. Now, feel my fingers around your oh, neck. You're choking me. Uh, I almost oh, felt the rope there. My fingers are softer, I promise you. But just as deadly. There. A human being lies lifeless on the floor, his murderer safe from recognition behind his mask. Who will tear off that mask and reveal the killer's countenance? Who will start the manhunt? Manhunt and the clue of the masked murderer. Hey, Ronnie, Bruce Stevens got here yet? No, sir, but I'm on my way down to the ground floor. I'll watch for him, Sergeant Morton. Watch for him, he says. Go get him. He won't stay in the police laboratory where he belongs. When I sent for him, he's missing. Oh, no, he's not there. Oh, here he is, in person. In person, he says. What do you think I expect, a movie? Listen, Drew, we got a call at Homicide early this afternoon. It said a body, a dead body, could be found in apartment 8G. At this address sometime tonight. Well, why don't we open the door and see if it's there? I looked ten minutes ago. There's nothing there. I got cops all over the building, on every floor, at the elevator, on the stairways, everywhere. And nobody has come near here with anything that looks like a dead body. All right, so I didn't miss anything. It's the apartment right here, huh? Yeah, but nobody could have put anything in it since we've been here. Mind if I look? Mind if I look, he says. Go ahead, the door isn't locked. I'll wait here. Okay, I just want to see the room. Hey, it's dark in here, Bill. Oh, where's the light switch? Fine detective. Can't even find the light. Right next to the door. Oh, oh yeah, I got it. So this is the empty room you were talking about, huh, Bill? What makes you so sure it's empty? All right, so tell the joke. What's in it? If you were around, it could be almost anything. Except nobody could have brought a corpse in. Got that wrong, Bill. Come here. With you around, somebody did bring a corpse in. Huh? Yeah. What else is that on the floor but a dead body? A dead body? What? Hey, Murphy, Flanagan, Kelly, this way. Murphy, find out who's got the apartment next to this. Kelly, take the other side. Flanagan, check the cop on the stairway leading to the roof and see if anybody passed him. Then check the roof. Get going. Hey, look, Bill. That building across the court. There's a window facing this room. Hey, Taylor, find out who's in the apartment in the next building that faces this window. Hop to it. I wonder who the dead guy is. Never mind that. How did he get in here? That's what gets me. I'll send for the medical examiner and the photographer. Then we'll try and identify him. Uh, I want this room just as it is when they get here. So you come on out in the hall, Drew. Okay, I wouldn't have touched anything anyway, but let's go. What do you think of this case, Drew? It's ridiculous. On account of it, couldn't have happened. It looks that way, Bill. There's no fire escape at the window, so even though the window was open, that doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing, he says. Tell me something that does mean something. I tell you, nobody could have been put in that room. It's impossible. Sergeant Morton! 
Sergeant Morton, there's huh? nobody home in the apartment on this side of the room. Use my skeleton key. First down, ten yards to go. And nobody home in the apartment on the left either, sir. We checked it, not a soul in sight. Nobody passed Casey on the stairs, Sergeant Morton. Not only that, but nobody on the roof either. Well, all that has to happen is that there's nobody in the apartment across the court, and I'll agree that the thing's impossible. Excuse me, sir, but I just came from that apartment. There's somebody home there, but they're okay, Peter. Listen, I'm the guy who judges whether people are okay or not, not you. Somebody's home there, huh? Well, we're booking whoever it is. I'm going to do it myself. Okay, Sergeant Morton, but don't say I didn't tell you. You see, the apartment across the court is occupied by the police commissioner himself. Who cares? We'll run him into... What's that? The commissioner. I think I'm going to have another look at apartment 8G, Bill. Okay? Go ahead. Thanks. Thanks, he says. What a mess. All I know is nobody could have brought a body into that room. Hey, Bill. Now uh, what? Don't tell me there isn't a dead body in there. There isn't a dead body in here, Bill. Here, take a look for yourself. There's two dead bodies. Who's that? Who's raising that skylight? Answer me or I'll fire. Who's there? Okay, whoever you are, I want you. Is that you? Of course it's me. Can you hurt? Did I hit you? Oh, I don't think so. No. No, I'm all right. Why didn't you say who you were when I called? And what in the world are you doing here on this roof? Your voice sounded strange, Drew, and I was scared. And where else should a good secretary be but with her boss? What do you know about what good secretaries do, Cherub? Hmm. Well, Bill Morton said you were up on the roof of the building next to the one in which those two bodies were found. So I came up. Tell me about this case, Drew. Nothing to tell, Pat. We don't know a thing except that a couple of invisible corpses must have walked through an army of police and then took shape when they laid down in apartment 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are just two friends. It's kind of dark up here. Glad I brought this flashlight along. Say, what's that over there? Hmm? Oh, over in the corner? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of a children's playground. Seesaws, swings, slides, and sort of stuff. Oh, let's go over. I haven't been on a swing since I was 10. <laughs> what a memory. All right, let's go over and sit on that double swing. I can think out loud, and maybe you can find a missing part in this puzzle. Okay, let's. You see, Pat, we identified the two bodies we found. One of the men was a millionaire, and the other a Bowery bum. Apparently, no connection between the two, but there must be some connection. Are they about the same age? Well, Fifteen years different. And from what we know of their lives, one of them always had money, and the other, well, he worked odd jobs till he hit the Bowery a couple of years ago. No link at all. Come on, sit here. Uh-huh. This is fun sitting up here in the dark on a swing with you, Drew. I'm not thinking of fun, Pat. I'm thinking of an absolutely ridiculous situation. One that couldn't happen, but did. In addition to how the bodies finally turned up in H.G., I want to know why two men who couldn't possibly have known each other were killed by the same murderer. Well, maybe the bodies were thrown from this roof across the court through the window. Pat, don't be impossible. How can a body be thrown eight feet across the court and down one story and through a window? All right. Then in answer to your second problem, a murderer doesn't have to have any connection between two people just because he kills them both. He can kill anybody he likes. This is a free country. Good joke? Don't make me ask that, Pat, my pet. But that free country idea gives me a thought. I know where two men who never saw each other before can be bosom companions for days. Yeah, where's that? In the jury room, that's where. Pat, I'm going down to the municipal building. We've got the names of the two murdered men. If by any chance they served on the same jury at some time... 
That jury may be all we need to track down a killer. Hello, Bill Stevens speaking. Bill, this is Bill Morton. Pat told me you were down in the municipal file checking records. Hey, Drew, what do you think happened? Well, as a guess, I think a fellow by the name of Richard Martin was just murdered. How could you possibly know that, Drew? We just found the body. Did you kill him? No, Bill, but he figured to get it. You see, 15 years ago, a jury of three men and nine women convicted a man named Paul Brooks of a killing. Well, two of the men on that jury are the ones we found dead in apartment H.E. Third man was Richard Martin. Too bad I didn't know this sooner. I might have saved his life. Did you know that much? Where can we find this Paul Brooks? I know that too, Bill, but this is my case. He's got his name and address from the parole board. He's released on Monday. I'm going to pick him up myself. You'll hear from me as soon as I do. Okay. But remember, we got three dead bodies already, Drew. The killer might get an idea this is a bridge game. And invite you to make a fourth. Yes, I'm Paul Brooks, and I've been going straight. Here's my parole record. You're going straight, all right, Brooks. Straight to the chair. Pretty stupid of you, thinking we wouldn't trace that jury that sent you up 15 years ago. Strange coincidence, isn't it, that three of them are dead now, hmm? Some coincidence, Brooks. Come on, we're going downtown. Don't be a sap copper, huh? You can't prove I knocked off those three guys any more than you can figure out how those bodies were able to walk through an army of cops and lay down on the floor for you to find. I don't know how you got them past the police, but I know you did, Dick. And I know you did the killing. Yes, I know who killed three men and why they were killed, but I don't know how you got those bodies past the police. I know who and why. What you don't know is, and how. Again. And when I looked in a minute ago, it was empty again. What are we doing here? Well, Drew said to meet him here in the hall, Bill, outside 8G. He had a reason. Hey, Bill. Oh, that's Drew's voice. Bill. Where did it come from? I don't know. In the apartment? In the apartment, she says. Don't be foolish. You couldn't have gotten in there. Hey, Cassidy! Is Drew Stevens with you? Here we go again. That came from the apartment. We got cops all over the building just like yesterday, Pat. It's impossible. Nobody could get in that apartment. I don't know. If a couple of dead bodies could get in, I guess a live one could slip past the cops. I'm going to look. What, Drew? Hello, kids. Hello, kids, he says. How did you get in here, Drew? <laughs> Take it easy, though. Yeah. Come on over to the window with me. Hey, Casey. Did you make it all right, Mr. Stevens? Okay, Casey. Take this thing back and hook it back on the roof where it belongs. Hey, what is that thing? I know what it is. It's the slide from the children's playground on the roof across the court. That's right. But right now, it's hooked onto the railing of the roof across the way. And the bottom of the slide rests on this window ledge. See? Yeah, but... Well, Casey's on the roof now, pulling this slide back and attaching it to its place up in the playground. Well, I did what the murderer did. Unhooked it first and put it on the railing. Yes, but he put the dead bodies on it and slid them across the court and down through this open window. Exactly. And I slid down under my own power. So darn simple to figure out. I don't know why I didn't get it before. Well, after the murderer slid the bodies in here, he replaced the slide and nobody knew how it was done. Did you get the guy who did it? That I did, Bill. That I did. And I got a beautiful convicting fingerprint on that slide, too. How do you like that? Just because you took a ride on a slide, a killer is going to take a walk to the chair. (laughs) 
Um, welcome back. Uh, this episode really leaves me scratching my head. There are quite a few things wrong with it. I'm not mad or ranting. Just uh, having some fun, and I've just got to say this before some of the listeners. Uh, my overall thoughts on this uh, episode. While the murderer wore a mask, the fact that he wore a mask actually didn't provide a clue. So clue of the mask murderer was a bit odd. Uh, also, why he wore the mask. Maybe it was so he wouldn't be seen exiting um, the scene of the crime. Because it wasn't going to do anything for the victims. The victims were going to be like, oh, whew, I thought it was that guy who I was on the jury. And uh, thankfully, it's only a guy in a mask. And then, I don't know, it may be me and just uh, being a little picky with this thing with puzzle mysteries. But I get annoyed when a mystery has a killer do something mysterious so that something mysterious is done. Never mind if it makes any sense. And that's what we have in this episode, where in order to dispose of the bodies, he sends them on a slide into an apartment and then calls the police and lets them know that they're going to be there beforehand. If he had called after the bodies had been left, the police would wonder, first of all, particularly with uh, Bill, they'd wonder, how did all these people get in there? What were they doing in this apartment? And it would take them a while to figure out the bodies had been moved. And this could have gone even worse for the killer because they could have caught on to the jury angle a lot sooner. Uh, the only way this makes sense is if the killer decided, you know what, I'm going to get caught, so at least I should give the police a thoroughly memorable mystery uh, to remember me by. On the positive side, I do love the irony here. The guy goes to all this trouble to put on a mask so that nobody recognizes him, you know, and, you know, takes even the risk of being spotted in a mask, which is something suspicious. And after all that carefulness, uh, he gets caught because of one fingerprint. Maybe you should have bought gloves instead. And another thing positively, at least Bill didn't tr try to conv convince um, Drew that the bodies coming in there were an accident or suicide. Anyway, uh, now to some listener comments and feedback. One specifically regarding uh, Manhunt. Lisa emails in regarding the case of the, or the uh, clue of the accusing violin. Adam, love your podcast, but if I was some able, somehow able to reach back in time and grab the writers of the accusing violin by their ear and give them a good talking to, I would. As a violin teacher, I can tell you it doesn't matter if you are left-handed or right-handed. The violin will go in the left hand and the bow will always be in the right. The strings will always go G-D-A-E from left to right no matter what. Ugh. Sorry, Adam, I know you didn't write the scripts, but it is so annoying when writers don't even know the do the most basic of research. No excuse, writers. I love your podcast. Thanks, Lisa. Well, thank you, uh, Lisa, for the comment and the clarification. And you're right, there's really not a whole lot of excuse for that. And... uh 
I think that, uh, yeah, really, if it's going to be, you know, if you get a little detail wrong that's not important to your plot, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you misread something that can kind of be justified. But if it's the big seminal clue, you know, you don't blow that. But thanks so much for the clarification, Lisa, and uh, I appreciate the uh, information. And that's what I like about having so many great, uh, well-informed listeners, because I don't know everything, and you, you will catch some errors that I wouldn't. Uh, right, well, we also had a couple of emails from Clarissa, uh, who donated, uh, she sent in a uh, note, says, thanks for all the great podcast. Clarissa, loyal listener since May 2012. Uh, thanks, Clarissa. Wow, nearly two years. She also emailed in another note. Uh, she says, you might already know this, but the character played by Samuel L. Jackson in the new RoboCop movie is named Pat Novak. Your show was how I learned of Pat Novak for hire, so I thought of you. As far as I can tell, Samuel L. Jackson's talk show host character bears no relation to Jack Webb's private eye. Uh, thanks for all the great podcast. Hey, Pat Novak commenting on modern-day uh, Detroit. That would be interesting. I've not seen either the original or a remake of uh, Robocom. Not really an expert on it. Um, but, uh, probably more likely than not, it may have been someone who, uh, liked the show and, uh, decided to write a character by that name. Um, I know that, um, um, I've, I've just had my novel Slime Incorporated out, and, um, I was a big fan of the 1959 series. We just played it, uh, for our last video, uh, campaign. Um, the lock, uh, lockup. And I actually named a character after, uh, L uh, Lieutenant Weston from that, uh, public domain series. So, um, could be, or it could have just been that they thought of the name at random. But thanks so much for the information and the Pat Novak sighting. Of course, the uh, original Pat Novak will be coming to our uh, program for a second run through right after we finish up the case book of Gregory Hood. And we also received a comment from uh, Mark, uh, different than the Mark we mentioned uh, previously. He writes, hi, Adam, uh, second time e emailing, I just had to, just finished episode 1062 and had to chime on one of the comments you read. This was in regards to your voice. First, me, first, let me commend you on reading comments that may come across unflattering. This unbiased response is refreshing. You certainly have a unique voice, and that's as it should be. If we all sounded alike, how boring life would be. While your voice is different, and for some may take some getting used to, I think it adds to the charm of the show. To be honest, when I first started listening, my feelings during the comments were, get on with it, to quote Monty Python. However, now I wouldn't uh, listen without them. Uh, negative comments don't seem to phase you, and I hope they never do. Uh, once again, keep up the uh, good work. Thanks so much, Mark. And, you know, I, I it seems like with uh, negative comments, I do... Really try to, um, strike a balance. There are some negative comments I won't read just because they are such, mm, uh, not unconstructive. And then the, I think the one I read in 1062 was kind of 
borderline. Um, and I think that what really enables me to do the show is all of the supportive comments that I received. It's just been such, you know, a, a great encouragement and blessing to, uh, have so many listeners enjoy the show. And, you know, I have to kind of take that all into consideration because you know, sometimes usually I'll go um, six or seven months without any really negative feedback at all. And then I will get probably for about a month, you know, I don't know what it is, you know, three or four really nasty comments. But I just take a look at the perspective and just say to myself, you know, we have 222 people who've rated the show on uh, iTunes and 209 four five-star ratings. And people who don't enjoy the show or want the programs without any commentary, I just advise them. All, all these things are downloadable somewhere or another. Not the exclusive distributor of any program out there. And so, Mark, thanks for your comment, and thanks to everyone so much for their uh, support over the years. Well, this has been a bit long-winded, um, but uh, that's why I did it at the end, so listeners could have the option to listen to or not. Uh, but uh, we... Uh, I do want to remind you that uh, to support the show, support.greatdetectives.net. Uh, we have quite a few thank you gifts uh, available. Among the options we have, uh, at the $100 level, we have the George Sanders Saints uh, movie. All um, five of the George Sanders films, and we'll send them to you with a donation of $100 or more in the U.S. and Canada. Full details available at support.greatdetectives.net. Well, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, returns next Monday, and uh, we'll be back with another episode of Manhunt on Friday. And coming up tomorrow, it's the last episode of the lineup. And be sure to join us uh, a week from Saturday for a look at the series Police Blotter. In the meanwhile, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.